message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruin. Welcome back. Welcome back to Cornerstone. Unique Mackie. Come on up here, Unique. Appreciate you coming back. Beautiful wife Linda in the back. I think it's, oh, you moved up. There she is. There she is. Let me grab you a mic here. Well, that is the uh, promo video to a new documentary that is uh, being made about Unique's life. And uh, it is in process. And um, I think I foretold that documentary, didn't I? Didn't I? When we first got together, I said there, was gonna, there needed to be one at least. I didn't, yeah, I didn't have anything to do with it, but I said there needed to be one. And He's going to have something. Yeah, I asked for a part. You know, I asked if I could be one of his flunkies or something like that. He hasn't responded to that yet. I don't, I don't know that he had a guy like me working with him at the time that that all went on. No, probably not. You're too pretty, man. Okay, all right. <laughs> That's all right. I can take that. I can take that. Uh, we'll get back to the, to the documentary in a minute. But uh, Unique and I got together last night and caught up a little bit. It's been, it's been three years, I think, since you joined us for the HOPE event. And uh, you spoke at Jefferson City High School with uh, Kyle Maynard. And uh, we did that. And so time flies, right? A lot has happened. And we're going to try and cover a little bit of that. Uh, instead of asking Unique to preach or even really to, uh, to get up and give you his, his uh, Living Beyond the Shadows uh, testimony... Um, I told him that uh, Cornerstone's a little different. We're a little different, right? You guys, a little, yeah, I'm a little different. You're a little different. And one of the things, I, I told you, Nate, we had a table up here, and I sit, and he just looked at me kind of funny, like, what, what's that all about? But, but I said, you know what? Uh, the, the folks at Cornerstone most appreciate, from, and I can tell this just by the feedback you guys give after services, I think I get more feedback when, not when I'm, not when I'm really teaching or even really preaching, but when I'm when I'm sharing with you just from my heart and I'm just sitting here and I'm just talking like we're sitting in the living room or sitting at the kitchen table. Is that is that right? And so I say, Unique, let's just let's just sit down and let's just talk through this a little bit. Some of you have heard Unique's story and some of you this is your first time. And so uh, I wanted to show you the promo video just to give you just to give you a quick summary, a tease of the whole thing to give you an idea. And we're going to fill in some of the blanks here, but we'll come back to uh, the making of the documentary and such, but it's been three years and I want to catch up a little bit. And uh, every time I think about your story and uh, watching, watching the promo video unique, it just, it reminds me, you know, I'm so, I've been so excited um, for you since I met you about what God can do and what he's already done with your story, but what God is going to do and what he can do. Uh, I'm, you know, I've shared with you, I'm really excited about what God can do. And um, in that excitement, um, I think sometimes the reality of what you went through, um, especially as a child, um, kind of escapes me, you know. And in the promo video, when when the the, the child unique is standing at at the graveside of your parents, um, I'm I'm reminded of the sadness of that. You know, it's not. Um, I, I get so caught up in what God is is going to do for you. That I that I forget that you you actually you actually live this isn't this isn't just a it's not a movie it's not just it's not just a make believe story you live that and so um, for what it's worth maybe it's of the Lord and I I, I appreciate um, not just what God has done but I want I want you to know that uh, from this pastor um, man I'm I'm humbled and I'm saddened by your story and and those aren't those points aren't lost how how old were you when your parents were both gone. 
When I, I lost my father when I was 13 and my mom passed away when I was 15. All right. And so that, that's the kind of reality that I'm talking about. And so for those who haven't heard the story, uh, back up and, and tell us, how did you get to that point where, where both of your parents are gone? What, what happened? I'm going to back up a little bit further, further than that, if, if it's okay. Go for it. When I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, okay? My father was a, a high-ranking executive for Delta Airlines. He spoke three languages, four languages. He, he traveled around the country training other employees. My, he, he, he graduated from the University of Illinois with a master's degree, graduated summa cum laude, he, he was a brilliant man, and because of my father's, you know, academic resume and the amount of money he made, of course, my mother did not have to work. So we, we lived an exceptional lifestyle as, you know, we were, we were growing up, my sister and I. I believe before I was probably a teenager, I had visited three or four different countries because, of course, he flew for Delta and we flew for free. He worked for Delta, so we flew for free. So, you know, travel wasn't a big deal. You know, I went to a private Christian school growing up. I mean, my life was ex- extraordinary. But despite how things looked on the outside, deep down inside, it still felt like something wasn't right. But when you're a young man and you're going through certain things in your home, you see certain things, you hear certain things, you really can't put your finger on what, what, it, what the problem may be. I just remember one, one night crying for what seemed to be no reason, and my father walked past the bedroom, and he ho- overheard me crying, and he came in the bedroom. He said, Unique, what's wrong? And I said, Dad, I don't know. I really can't put my finger on it, but it, it feels like somebody's going to break into our house and, and hurt me. And I'll never forget this. He, he looked at me straight in, in my eyes, and he said, Son, I will never let that happen. I will never let anybody hurt you. But little did I know what was going to hurt me was staring me right in my face. So, you know, my father uh, continued to travel, but the, but the odd part about his travels was my sister and I never got to go along with him and, and mom anymore. They would drop us off with family and friends. And they eventually had to come clean that when they said that they were taking these trips that we couldn't come along with them on I- anymore, that both of them were really in and out of the hospital, but they didn't want my sister, Chantal, and I to know. So because uh, they were both in and out of the hospital and the, my, the doctor said my mother was going to have to stay in for a, a lengthy stay, they told my sister and I that we were going to have to move to Memphis, Tennessee to stay with friends because my dad's job was very demanding and he couldn't take care of my sister and I by himself and mom was still in the hospital. So we moved to Memphis, Tennessee, and things were okay there. You know, they took good care of my sister and I, and, you know, uh, it was actually about six months before we saw mom and dad again. So naturally when we got the phone call saying that they were going to come in town, we, we were very excited. Mm-hmm. I was actually thinking that, you know, I'm going to get to go back home. And they came into town, and it was just business as usual. I mean, we, I remember playing Monopoly. You know, that was our family game. I, I was like Donald Trump, you know, no <laughs> No, nobody could beat me, but um, that's another sermon for another Sunday. So, um, you know, uh, we, we went out, I went out to eat. I mean, it was, it was a good time. And, you know, I, I just knew I was about to get to go back home. 
And we were sitting in the den watching our favorite show at the time, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And um, Dad walked in, and he, kind of, he had a serious look on his face, and he said, you know, I need to talk to you guys. So it was a commercial, so we were like, all right, well, hurry up, you know, before this um, commercial goes off. And we missed the show, and he, he said, no, guys, it's serious. I need you to cut off the TV, and I need you to follow me into the bedroom. Well, my heart started to beat fast at that point. Um, you know, what, what's so serious that, that we have to turn off our favorite television show and follow you into the bedroom? And I honestly thought that Dad was about to tell me and my sister that they were about to get a divorce because Mom and Dad were not getting along. You know, uh, there was fighting in the house. Mom had long since moved out of the master bedroom. She was set up in another room. And, and like I said, when you're young, you know that something's not right, but as long as your parents are taking care of you, 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 you really don't care where they sleep at. You know, as long as mama's getting up, you know, making breakfast and, and dad is bringing in the money. So I, I kind of, even though I saw those things, I kind of tried to look over them hoping that things would work out. So I thought dad was about to tell me that they were about to get a divorce. So I kind of more or less just braced myself to receive that news. So we, so we walked in the bedroom, and Mom was already crying, and that's when I realized that this may be a little bit worse than a divorce. So I remember my Dad telling my sister and I to sit down on the edge of the bed, and he looked at me, and he looked at my sister, and he said, Unique and Chantal, your mother and I have an HIV virus, and there's no cure. So at 11 years old, I didn't know what an HIV virus was. But I certainly knew what no cure meant. It meant no more sports, no more travel, and, and worst of all, if there's no cure, it meant no more mom and dad. You would think that, that my first question would be, well, how long are you going to live? But it wasn't. My first question was, how does somebody get HIV? And my father said, I, I had an extramarital affair uh, with, a, with a woman that I worked with, contracted the disease, and then gave it to your mother. So at 11 years old, I find out that both of my parents are passing away. So my dad makes a, 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 um, tells me that he has to go back to Atlanta to go back to work, but mom was going to stay behind to make sure that we were okay. So, you know, I knew it was more to this story, and uh, my mom would give it to me. My mother was like my best friend, you know, uh, at that age, I really thought she was my girlfriend, y'all. Uh -huh. But, uh, you know, I, I remember crawling up in the bed with mom that next night asking her for more details. I said, Mom, who's this woman? And she kind of looks at me, and my mom's really silly. That's where I get my, you know, sense of humor from. And she kind of has a little smirk on her face. I'm like, Mom, stop playing. Who's the woman? Have you met her? Has she been in our house? Do you even know who she is? And she looked at me and in so many words says, your, your dad has made a decision to live an alternative lifestyle. Um, you all know what that means. So within two days, I find out that my parents are passing away. And then the man that I looked up to and admired who I wanted to be like, I found out, wasn't the man that I thought he was. So you can only imagine the pain that I was experiencing. I mean, if, if I can, can I share this scripture? Yes, please. Um, I, I believe it will really give us some context to this discussion. 
And, you know, I'm a preacher, so I feel like I, I've, I've always got to, you know, give some scripture. So if, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Luke 13, 6 through 9, and, and I'll be reading through the New Living Translation. And as I said, um, I, I don't want you all to, to, to listen to my story and, and, and look at it from your point of view, more or less. I want you to look at your own life story and think about what have you gone through or what you may be going through today that you could tr- trust God more in the midst of it. What, what, what pain are you experiencing? What adversities are you going through that God may be using to take you into your purpose? This, this is my story, but we all know that everybody has a story. Everybody goes through trying times. Every, everybody has trials. Everybody has pains. Everybody has problems at some point in their life. And I believe that this scripture speaks to why a loving God would allow pain into our life. Um, it, it reads, then Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I will give it special attention. And plenty of fertilizer. Everybody say fertilizer. Fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. So there's a tree in the garden, okay? This is a parable that Jesus is telling. And in this parable, the owner of of the garden represents God. The gardener, the person taking care of the garden, is a symbol of Jesus Christ. And we are the trees in the garden. And God did not put us in this earth that we that that Jesus is is comparing to a garden for us just to take up space. He put every single one of us here to produce fruit. Well, if you study horticulture, you understand that for a tree to produce fruit, it needs different types of ingredients. It needs air. It needs sunlight. It needs water. But it also needs something that's called macronutrients. And you get macronutrients from fertilizer. Now, fertilizer is a bunch of mess. It's banana peels. It's grass clippings. It's eggshell, it's animal waste, it's, it's a bunch of mess. So what Jesus is saying is that if we are going to grow to produce fruit for the kingdom, then you can't just have joy. You can't just have peace. You can't just have fun. You can't just have Great times. If we're going to produce fruit for the kingdom, 
then you've got to be able to grow through mess. Hmm. You've got to be able to experience some negative time in your life, and that negative time is not meant to destroy you. It's meant to develop you. Hmm. if, If I had to put a title to this talk, I would call it Growing Through Painful Situations. God does not mean for you and I just to go through. He means for us to grow through. And, and the acronym that I like, or, or I, I like to use for GROW is, the G stands for, and, and GROW stands for getting, the R stands for red, the O stands for of, and the W stands for weakness. Getting rid of weakness. That's what growth is. And to get us to grow, God will put us or allow us to be put in difficult situations so that we can grow stronger in our faith. You know, um, I know Eric know, knows this. When you go to the gym, okay, and, and, and you're lifting weights. Why, why don't I know anything? No, nah, you're too little, man. No, no, you don't. He, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't know that, does he? When you go to the gym and you really want to get bigger, you got to take a trainer. You got you to gotta take somebody who's going to be able to spot you. And the spotter's job is to recognize when the weight has gotten too heavy. I remember one time I was at the gym and I was just a, a little, you know, too ambitious. And, you know, I put a, a little too much weight on the bar. And as soon as I lifted it off of the bar, uh, off of the rack, rather, you know, it, it falls onto my chest. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't funny at the time. but um, 115 will do that. <laughs> Oh, come on, man. It was like one, 150, 160. But anyway, so yeah, it, falls, it falls onto my chest. <clears throat> and immediately my spotter begins to come over and, and, and tap the bar up. You know, it, he, he began to give me strength that I didn't have. And that's what God does. I, I, uh, some people call him the Holy Spirit. I call him the Holy Spotter. Because as soon as things get too heavy for you, that's when he'll run over, come in, and help you lift what you can't lift. Hmm. But the reason he, he, he tells you to put more weight on the bar than you can lift by yourself is because if you only go through life getting through things that you can do on your own, you'll never develop a relationship with him. Hmm. So God put you and I into situations that he knew we couldn't get through by ourselves, simply so we could grow stronger in our faith and we could develop a relationship with a loving God. So 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 in a unique now. So that's a perfect that's a perfect uh, example of where you were. You were in a mess. And and so as that child, uh, you end up losing your parents and um, all that surrounds that. is the story that uh, that you let God spot you? Did did you did you turn to Him? Did you run from Him? What happened next? Yeah, I I wasn't there yet. Um, I, I I got I got very angry and upset with God. Uh, just just to be quite frank, I couldn't stand Him. I, I I did not understand. I could not reconcile God's love with what He was letting happen. You know, you you often hear in Sunday school growing up that God loves you. He'll never let anything bad happen. Um, And those things are true. 
But you got to be very mature to understand those things. And, and sometimes God's, you know, um, protection comes through that pain. So, you know, I, I, I didn't understand that, you know, no, no pastor, you, of course, you guys have a great pastor. You all understand that. Nobody taught me that. Nobody told me that. I, could, I couldn't figure it out. So naturally, when you're told one thing about God, right, and you see something else happening, you naturally lose trust. So everything I did in my life became a function of my anger at God. So because I was angry at God, everything I did in my life was to shake my fist at him. So God, if you want me to love people, I'm going to hate people. God, if, God if, you, if, you, if you want me to be kind, I'm going to be mean. God, if you want me to be a, a, a good and intelligent young man, I'm going to be ignorant. So I got involved with, with selling drugs, um, gang activity, which led to me being involved with what authorities now call um, the Iron Pipeline. Now, the Iron Pipeline is when you take guns from southern states uh, where, where gun laws are more liberal and sell them up north where gun laws are, are, are more conservative, where, you know, thugs and people on the street can't get guns. You know, folk in the south, we crazy, you know. Um, <laughs> you, you can be 18 and, and go get you a shotgun, you know. It's, it's, not, it's not like that up north. And because of my lifestyle that I was living, I knew a lot of people who needed access to, to, to weapons and things of that nature but, but could not get them. And, you know, um, I was always enterprising. So, you know, we, we set up a, a, a ring where we could take these weapons from southern states and, and sell them up north. How old were you now? This, this my negative activity, you know, started immediately. It, it wasn't to this level. Now, when I got involved in, 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 in selling drugs and, 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 and guns and things of that nature, I, I was in, in my teens going into my 20s. Right. Um, but you became a fine, upstanding collegiate student at, at Georgia Southern, correct? Yeah, I, 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 did, I did go to Georgia Southern, but, you know, I wasn't your average college student. You know, when, when, when my parents passed away, um, my, my mother did an excellent job of making sure that we didn't have to go into foster care. She, she set it up to where a family, not, um, they weren't related to us, just, you know, strong Christians, actually moved from Kentucky. Now, this, this was a miracle in and of itself because they just got their children out of the house. Both of their children were in college. What parents do you know once you get your children out of the house, <laughs> would move to another state to take care of children going through what we were going through. And this man takes a demotion from his job because the position that he was in in Kentucky was not available in Georgia. So um, they, they did a good job of, 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 of helping me finally get through high school and get into college. And, and of course, you know, they didn't know the type of lifestyle I was really living. So I go to college and, you know, I'm in class during the day and I'm, I'm making money at night. You know, um, the, the, the girls in my class used to love me because I would go on these trips to New York and bring them back Gucci bags and, you know, things of that nature. I wasn't, I wasn't your average 
college student, you know, um, and, and again, I was just living out of my pain, but, but little did I know that I was being followed by the ATF. The, a, the ATF is short for, for Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearm Agency. So, um, you know, I'm being followed by the ATF, and one day I was headed to, to Zaxby's, just a normal day. I'm about to go get my, my teriyaki wings and things combo, extra Zax sauce. You know, I'm pumped about that. And no, no lie, I'm walking up to the door, and I don't know if you all have ever been in this position where you felt like somebody was staring at you, but you couldn't see him. Raise your hand if you've been in that position before. Okay, so I turn around. I'm at the front of this restaurant, and I turn around, and there's this all-black Ford Excursion with, with midnight black tinted windows. So I just knew that they were staring at me because who's at the drive-thru but not rolling down their window to place an order? So they're st- sitting in the drive-thru, and I'm sitting at the, standing at the front of the restaurant, and I'm just staring. I can't see inside this truck because of the midnight black tinted windows. But, and, and I just figured that they're staring at me. And, of course, as I said, I made a lot of bad decisions at, by this time in my life. So I, I figured these are some people who I've made upset, and, you know, maybe this is my last day yet, uh, on earth. And I kind of prepared myself for that. And before I knew it, before I knew it, there was a 45 in my face. And all I heard was, unique, get down. And you know you're in a messed up situation when the feds know your first name. When they, when they, when, I, I just knew, I just knew I was never going to see the light of day again. So they said, you need to get down. It was about four federal agents. They threw me in the back of that um, ATF uh, truck, and they took me to federal prison. So this is, from what I remember your story, this is kind of a turning point. That ride uh, might be the first time in a long time that you hear from God or sense God's presence or really come to your own senses. Tell us about that. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Um, I had, I had, uh, n- I knew that I wasn't living right. You know, um, I was making some bad decisions, but God was still there in the midst of it. And I remember praying a prayer um, a, a couple months, few months before I, I, I got arrested, and I asked God, in so many words, that you need to get me out of this. You know, um, I don't know how I'm going to change my life. I, I could end up dead in prison, if you don't do something, my life is over. And when I got locked up, I tell you, I I literally felt the spirit of God hover over me. So much so that while they're taking me, the closest federal prison to where I was located was in Savannah. So this was a long ride. I went to sleep. Now, who do you know? (laughs) You're going to federal prison. I mean, I've got chains. I, I can't remember. They may have been on my ankles. I know they were on my wrist. I, I mean, I'm like this, you know, in, in, a, in a truck. And I'm knocked out. And I remember these words that, that God spoke into my spirit. This is what you asked me for. That's, that's, all, that's all he said. And, and, and I know God is speaking to me when it comes from, it's like you don't level up to the thought. It just drops. Mm-hmm. And it's never a lot. You, you don't level up. You're not thinking along the lines of what's dropped. And it's just like, boom, mm-hmm. this is what you asked me for. Mm-hmm. And I remembered the prayer. And then I went to sleep. 
But as you know, when 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 you're about to get a breakthrough, things get worse. Hmm. So I find out that that I'm looking at 60 months in federal prison. Not only that, my two co-defendants are are turning against me. They're they're telling the feds that I was the person in charge of the operation and they're getting immunity. So they so for their testimony, the ATF told them that that they would not see any jail time. Not only that, um I'm, I, I was a senior at Georgia Southern by this time, you know. Um, I picked up my dad, my dad's mind. He, he learned fast, so I, I, I was able to get my way through school and live this kind of lifestyle, and I was about to graduate. So I get kicked out of school because you can't have weapons, you know, within a certain vicinity of the campus. And then when they found out what was going on, they expelled me. So I'm expelled from school. I'm looking at 60 months in federal prison. I'd already lost both of my parents. My two closest friends are turning against me. My lawyer retainer fee was $15,000. They're bringing people from New York to testify that they got the guns for me. My life is over. I'm done. I mean, and I'm on tape. (laughs) I mean, what do you do in, in that type of situation except prepare for the worst? So, um, I went to my pretrial conference, okay? I'm, and at a, a pretrial conference, for those who you do, uh, d- d- uh, those of you who've never been to federal prison, <laughs> a, a pretrial conference is when you sit down with the prosecuting attorney and the prosecuting agency. And this is your last chance to work a deal. They wanted me to, 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 to put on a microphone and to travel through the states that we trafficked guns through and to get everybody you know involved in this conspiracy locked up and they told me for my cooperation that I would see no jail time now a lot of people ask me unique why didn't you do that if you were doing wrong then you should have you know told them what was going on and um, you know basically gotten yourself out of that and, and I, to be quite honest I don't agree with that because what I what the conversation that I had with God was if you want me to help you out of this, you're going to have to trust me. Not put what you did on everybody else. You're going to have to trust me. So they were very upset when I told them. I'm not going to do it because at this point in my life, I decided to do what Jesus would do. And Jesus didn't put things on other people. He took the sins of the world on himself. So I said, you know what? Even though all these people aren't telling the truth, even though I'm not guilty of everything that they're saying I am, I'm going to take it. And if I'm going to get out of this situation, God is going to do it. And if he doesn't, I'm just going to start a prison ministry. (laughs) So Sheila Arnum, who you saw on the video, was my prosecuting attorney. And she said, well, you're going to jail. And I got up out the seat and I walked out. That's how our meeting ended. So I decided to go back to church that Sunday. She was pretty angry at you. Oh, she was hot. I mean. She couldn't believe it. You arrogant. You think you you think you tough. You you want you not cooperating. 
ba- you going to jail. You don't stand a chance. And she was right. I couldn't argue. That's why if I can't win an argument, y'all, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to get up and leave. So that's what I did. I was, I, she was right. So the meeting was over. So I go to church that morning. I decided to, to go back to the church that my mom and I would visit. And this is a huge church, you all, about 5,000 uh, people, um, upstairs, downstairs, three services. Um, I enjoyed a great service. You know, I'm kind of getting ready for, you know, my, my, my sentence that I'm going to get on Wednesday. And I remember walking out, and I looked down, and I noticed somebody who looks familiar. It was my prosecuting attorney. Sheila Arnold. So she looks up, and we're both like squinching, like, is this happening? Never had seen her before until that Friday. Had no idea she went to that church. <laughs> 5,000 people, you all. Three different services. I'm in the balcony. She's downstairs. What are the chances that I walk out and look down at the same time she walks out and looks up? So immediately, you know, I didn't know if I should hug her because we were at church or (laughs) hit her because she was trying to throw me in jail or run because I was embarrassed. And she hugged me and she said, Unique, uh, tell me about yourself. I don't feel right about this. Almost like she was struggling with putting me in prison the whole time but didn't really know why. And she said, I told her, you know, I was basically a good kid that was caught up in some bad things. I told her that I lost my parents at a young age and went through that whole spill with her and she had just lost her father and she said unique um, I'm in my 40s and I just lost my dad and I'm really struggling with it and you lost both of your parents in dramatic fashion while you were a teenager I can't imagine how you handled that I'm gonna do everything I can to help you well the next day I get a phone call from my lawyer saying that Sheila had dropped one of the charges. But for her to drop one of the charges, I had to plead guilty to the other one. So I pled guilty to the other one, dropped one of the charges. Now, what her dropping the charge did was it lowered my points, which means I no longer had to go to prison, that I could see probation because my points were lower. And it gave the judge a wider range of of punishment. So I went to court. You know, and what was amazing was that Sheila defended me. Now, she had already dropped one of my charges. Her job is to prosecute, to tell the judge on behalf of the ATF why I deserve to be in prison. She did not do that. She told the judge that I deserved a second chance. I saw Jesus at work because the bible says that jesus is our what advocate that is a judicial term meaning that when we go to heaven and we see god who we're guilty before he's the judge but jesus is going to be our advocate and he's going to say they don't deserve the punishment that you could give them And because of my blood, they need to go free. So she tells the judge who I'm guilty before, 
that I just don't deserve the prison time and that I deserve to go free. <laughs> she did such a good job defending me that my high-priced attorney stands up and says, I acquiesce to the argument of the prosecution and sits down. That's all he said. Long story short, I still got five years, not in prison, but on probation. At the end of, of that court case, uh, I saw God differently. I always say that my pain took me away from God, but pain brought me back to God. Sheila asked me to do her a favor. She said, Unique, I, I want you to um, help me with this mentor program. I want you to help young kids with a story like yours. So what do you do with somebody who put their life on the line for you? You tell them, okay, <laughs> whatever. I never mentored kids before. I mean, you know, um, I like kids or whatever, but I, I wasn't going to mentor any. But um, <laughs> So we went into the, the most dangerous neighborhood in Atlanta. It was, called, it was called Bowen Homes Project. They recently shut it down off of Bankhead Highway. And we started to read to kids, you know, who were in the fourth grade. That's how it started. Because prisons are built based on fourth grade reading levels. The, the, the government knows that if a child cannot read on a certain level by the fourth grade, that they will end up in prison. Hmm. So we said, how can we keep young men and women out of prison? Teach them how to read. Hmm. So we started that. Well, these kids enjoyed the reading so much that they wanted to spend more time with us. So we started a, a, a mentor program that we call Brother to Brother that grew from those four kids to over 200. I began to use my business acumen to do something positive as opposed to something negative. So we went and got sponsors. We connected with the schools. We, we got P George's motor coach to donate buses where we would pick up these kids from the projects and big luxury buses, televisions, the whole nine yards, drive them to the church that I met Sheila at, um, got go-karts, basketball goals, barbecue. We would do Bible study with them. I mean, many of the kids joined the church, joined the choir. Um, some of them gave their life to Christ. Um, it was just awesome. Little did I know that God was birthing a ministry out of my pain. So God, in miracle-working fashion, showed me how the Bible was true. He showed me how he literally causes Romans 8.28 says, all things to work for good for those that love the Lord and have been called according to his purpose. Hmm. I was dedicated to Christ. My faith grew tremendously because some people, if you ever witness to somebody, I know a lot of you all know this. The first thing that they tell you is that how could that God be so good and the world look so bad? They let pain keep them away from God when the beauty of God is not his ability to keep things from happening. The beauty and the wisdom of God is that he can take something ugly and make it beautiful. Amen. Amen. So the book is um, Living in the Shadows. Adversity creates purpose and unique's message, the message that he shares now through the Mackey Foundation and through the ministries he's involved with, he's uh, serving a church now as a youth and associate pastor in Augusta, Georgia, and also runs the, the Mackey Foundation. And uh, 
speaks about uh, about uh, his story and is now uh, making the documentary. I want to since since you were last here, you you've had not just the documentary start, but another thing that I foresaw was that uh, Georgia Southern actually let you come back, right? Yeah, that was yeah, that was great. Uh, God is so amazing, y'all. Uh, if we just get out of his way, um, I, I felt God telling me to finish my education, and something said just call Georgia Southern now. I thought that I was expelled, meaning, you know, you can't come back here. Right. I mean, if you don't get expelled for what I did, what do you got to do to get kicked (laughs) out of school? Well, come to find out, I was never expelled. I was only suspended. And to get back into school, watch this now. (laughs) All I had to do was get three people to write a letter saying, had I learned from my situation. Well, I wrote a book about it. I mean, I I can get 5,000 people to write a letter. I mean, so um so needless to say I'm back in school. I'm I'm due to graduate in May with a with a um a degree in in in, in marketing with a uh, a minor in um human resource management. So God yeah. is just good. And they asked you to speak at, 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 on one occasion, right? Well, well it's it's coming. Is it's it coming. coming. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I have I haven't spoke there yet, but um it's it's being worked out. Yeah. And the uh, the documentary that's coming. Tell us uh, a little bit shortly about uh, about uh, Frank Gooden and uh, what the plan there is. You're in process, right? Y- yes, yes, sir. We we um here's a a, a documentary um, cover um, front and back. It's only the trailer. We we've only um, gotten th- uh, that far. We've we've done some some shooting um, since then, but um, I'll get into that a little bit more later. But I was at the Potter's House in Jacksonville speaking, and I, I ran into. Frank Gooding, an Emmy award-winning film producer, and um, he was just floored by the story, and he told me that um, he was willing to sponsor a documentary on my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, 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 I think when you total everything up, um, it's probably over $100,000 that it's going to take to get this project finished, but we only need another forty. So, mm-hmm. um that that's that's more or less where we're at. Yeah. So he basically contributes his time and his efforts. So that's that's more than half of the expense. And so he said you got to come up with the other the other 50, and you've 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 reached about 15 of that. Yeah, it was yeah. An, it was another 55,000 that we would need to bring to the table, other than what um, Frank is bringing. Um, we've been able to to raise about 15,000 uh, so far, um, and. We're, we're looking to try to get the the rest of that in. All right, and so you, you've heard his story here quickly, but uh, he's been a friend and a friend of uh, Eric Scoggins, who introduced me to him for a while. Now a friend of our church, I not only shared his story here but preached here, and uh, just uh, an encouragement to me. And I hope his story is an encouragement to you. You can you can find uh, his trailer. You can uh, you brought some books. Yeah, I brought he brought some, some books. books. So you can get a book from him out there, and uh, I'll sign it if you want. And um, but uh, let me encourage you. Go to the website. Check out. Uh, what are the websites that you, that you, you can go to? to uh, www.mackiefoundation.com or you can go to my personal website, uh, Um You can also follow what we're doing on Mackey Foundation on Instagram. Twitter and and Facebook. This is Jackson County. They, they don't know anything about Twitter and <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. So, um, 
I'll put uh, I'll put the website. I'll put the websites in the bulletin for next week if you if you didn't get those. But uh, let me encourage you go to there and uh, you can contribute through the websites to to the to finishing this trailer. Uh, I was I, I wasn't joking when I said when I first met Unique. One of my first thoughts was this story needs to be told and it, it needs to be told in, in in just as dramatic form as it was lived. And so I think a documentary really will just be the beginning of this. I think I think once the documentary comes out, somebody's going to come along and say let's actually make make a, a Christian movie about this. And what an encouragement, I think, uh, to have that out there. Uh, I want you to know that, that, that not only do I trust Unique, that not only would I ask him to come here, but, but I'm, I'm encouraging you to contribute to finishing this documentary. Uh, one of the things I know and that I know Unique would want you to know is that anything contributed to this documentary, none of the proceeds to the documentary are going to, to him. It goes to the Mackey Foundation, which is which goes all the way back full circle to, to mentoring young men. He gave me a statistic last night uh, where, where he said that more young black men uh, are in prison than are in college right now. Is For the right? first time in history. For yeah. the first time in history. And, and the Mackey Foundation, its purpose is, as he shared with me again last night, is to, is to find a way to put, to put a male role model in each one of those young men's homes. And Christian that's a, male role that, model. That's a, that's a huge task. And there are a lot of organizations out there that are geared towards inner city youth and to helping youth, at-risk youth, etc. But, but the Mackey Foundation is, is not only looking to help them do good in school, have an after-school program, get fed, etc., but they're going to put Christ at the center of all those things. And so uh, he's not profiting from this. It's, it's simply helping to get the story out there so that more funding can be poured into the program to help at-risk youth, kids just like Unique, and, uh, and help them overcome the adversity and find purpose in their adversity. So let me encourage you to do that. Unique, we, we uh, on behalf of Cornerstone, we're going to help you get from the 15 of that 50 to 16. And I want to oh, encourage wow. you guys to make Thank a difference so in, the, in the coming days. And um, we're going to close. Yeah, we love you. We love your family. And we're going to close by praying for you. Is that all right? Yeah, can we pray for you? Yeah, Linda, yeah. can you come up? And uh, we want to pray for you. One of the things we like to do is we dismiss uh, here as a church family is to pray for someone uh, in our church family as we go. And so uh, you guys are family to us. And so as we dismiss, we're going to pray that God continues this, this ministry in a strong way. All right? Why don't you stand with us? Father God, I thank you for, uh, I thank you for being the God that uh, we all need you to be in our lives. And my suspicion here, and I think I'm right, uh, probably no one else in this room has lived through the dramatic uh, situation that Unique has lived through. Nobody's been chased by the FBI and the, and the ATF. Nobody has uh, faced the adversities that this man has faced. But we all have adversity. And Father, uh, he's given us encouraging, uh, encouraging um, strength to look at our own adversity, maybe in a fresh and in a new way. Father, might we learn from, from the situation that we're in. Uh, some of the folks right here today may be in their own in their own form of a mess. And um, Lord, it may, be, uh, it may be public and it may be very private. It may be just a mess of their own heart. It may be what only you and they know about. But what we find out in dramatic fashion is that even, even in secret places, deep down where no one else knows about and will never be put in a book and will never be made into a documentary, you're still the God that redeems and creates purpose through adversity. And so, uh, Lord, my prayer for this congregation is that not only are they uh, encouraged by this story, but that they are strengthened in their inner man to know that you are, you are the God 
that even, even through long seasons of mess and pain can bring us through and to another side and, and to great purpose and use us for, uh, for things maybe we've never even imagined. God, I, I ask that for my life and for my, my family's life. I ask that you would do bigger things than we've ever prayed for even. Give us the desire for bigger things in our life. Give each person in this room a desire to be, to be used in your kingdom in a greater way. And Lord, as we dismiss, I pray for, I pray for this family that you would continue to use them, keep them, uh, keep them in your will and humble and focused on, uh, on Christ, uh, our Redeemer, our Healer, our Savior, our Advocate, Lord. Thank you for being the one who stands on our behalf, argues on our defense when we have, when we have, no, we have no ground to stand upon. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son to be our payment, to be our redemption, to be our advocate. We pray in His name, who is our cornerstone as well. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.